0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're gonna dive into uh, Parshas Lech Lecha, and um, I was so well. Just, just, just as a as an introduction, this is this is the the real um, uh, introduction of of Abraham, and, and and so it's 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 awesome because now we're really starting. The Torah is, is getting to the subject of the Jewish people. And specifically the Jewish people, and and the origins of the Jewish people, and and everything like this. And so, um, so Lech Lecha actually, interestingly, um, begins with Abraham Avinu. Most commentators say at age seventy-five. And we know there's so many amazing things that Abraham accomplished before the age of seventy-five, when he was basically just a child. He had already figured out that there's only one God in the world. Now remember, and I saw this point made by Rabbi uh, Steinholz uh, that don't, don't make the mistake that a lot of people make of saying that Abraham was the one who um, introduced or discovered, if you will, monotheism, the concept of one God. Adam Harishon knew that. It was, it was very clear and obvious from the beginning of creation that there's only one God. However, the world fell into this, um, this trap of attributing power to other sources. And so it came to the point where the idea of just one God became buried and lost. And so Abraham Avinu independently actually discovered this, but he was not the first person who realized this. That was the opening realization of creation, if you will. But like we say, it got, it got lost over the generations. Um, and the, the way that happens, the, the, the Rambam um, explains that, that just like a king is sort of... Uh, before a king arrives at the scene, he has uh, ministers around him. And so it's very appropriate to give honor to the ministers of the king. And so people had that same idea in terms of how they approached God. They saw the planets and they understood that the heavenly flow comes from above through the planets down into nature, and so they thought it would be very appropriate, since these are creations of God, to give great honor to these creations as well, and then after a certain point, people started to forget about the fact that there was only God, and God was the one who had created everything and was the only power, and so people became sort of um, trapped in this um, kind of mindset, this, this, this tunnel vision of what was directly in front of them. So, for instance, you, with this in mind, you could understand how Paro would worship the Nile River. Because the Nile River was the one that overflowed and gave sort of like water to all the crops. So, since that seemed to be the direct influence of crops growing, it would make sense that he would give a tremendous honor and worship it. So, so Avraham Avino comes and says, wait a second, there's only one power behind all of these things. And that's God, and that nothing else has power in the entire world. And of course, the, one of the great Midrashim, one of the greatest um, stories about Avraham Avinu is, you know, it's, it's so interesting the way God runs the world. Um, you know, the, the rabbis of the Medrash ask a, a phenomenal question, which is, why didn't God put Abraham in the Garden of Eden? Why did he start with Adam? Just go straight to Abraham. Amen. I mean, that, that question itself is, is that's a mind-bending question, you know. Um, and so, so we were kind of discussing this over Shabbos, and and, and uh, an answer came up, and I, I thought it was I thought it was a very interesting answer. The just as an aside, the uh, the Ramchal says that the test of to to Adam and Chava vis-a-vis the snake and this is a very detailed discussion, but I'm just going to just really put it in broad strokes right now, was really what they were being tested with was, is there more than one power in the world? Mm -hmm. In other words, because the snake is testing them and saying that you can be a power just like God is a power. Okay, it's a more involved discussion, but just take my word for it. So so they failed that test. They failed that test. And and so what was the greatness of Abraham Avinu? Avraham Avino is being tested all the time, and he's broadcasting the fact that there's only one power in the world. So if you think about it, Avraham Avino was the—he was the person to to pass that test. So perhaps this is the, perhaps this is the reasoning behind the idea that if Avraham had been in the Garden of Eden, then then it would have been good. Now, just because we're on the subject, let me just tell you one more teaching. I heard it from Reb Shlomo in the name of. Um, Rav Cook, which is everybody knows that on Shabbos you go to a higher place okay so Rav Cook asks this amazing question if Adam and Chava hadn't sinned in the Garden of Eden right you know they were created just a few hours before Shabbos where would they have gone on Shabbos right what's higher than the Garden of Eden so Rav Cook says they would have gone to Yerushalayim Shomala. Not the lower Yerushalayim, but the higher Yerushalayim. Because there's a, there's a Yerushalayim above. And so they would have gone to the Jerusalem above, and that's even higher than the Garden of Eden. That's where they would have gone on Shabbos. So that's... that's, that's uh, uh, chills from that, that's a, that's a, that's a strong teaching. So a rough quote. So So now, what happens, just in terms of the way God runs the world, so Avram Avinu, who's bringing this concept of oneness to the entire world, what's his father's profession? He is one of the chief idol makers in the world. So he's carving stone and wood statues for all these various things, and is close with Nimrod, who's like the world's first, you know, mad dictator, basically. Um, so, so when Avram is still very young, his father Terach leaves him in charge to watch over the, the shop where all the idols are. And um, and Abraham Avinu picks up an axe and he smashes all the idols, except for one large idol. And he puts the axe in that idol's hands. Right? So, so his father comes back. This is his shop, right? And he sees all of the idols smashed and he says... To Abraham, what happened? And Abraham said, The idols got into a fight, and the big one picked up an axe, and he smashed all the other ones. And his father says back to him, What are you talking about? They can't walk, they can't talk, they can't do anything. And Abraham Avinu says, Then why do you pray to them? <laughs> right? Wow, that's like. As we say, asked and answered, right? I mean, that's, wow. You know, that's, that was like a knockout blow for the centuries. You know, I'll just tell you something. One of my um, running jokes slash uh, idiosyncrasies is when, um, when someone presents someone else with a birthday cake, right? And then everyone says, make a wish, right? I always say, don't pray to the cake. <laughs> cake is not going to answer your prayer, you know? <laughs> so we, we have to always, uh, you know, I'll tell you something else. My, my father-in-law, Allah uh, Shalom, wouldn't blow out candles. You know, he would just kind of wave them out or whatever it is. Because there's, you know, I, this, there's, there's no, as far as I know, halakha behind this, but just just you should know, just the, the customs of, of, of Holy Jews are something just to, at the very least, think about and consider. The uh, A human being is considered to be like a candle, and the, and the flame is like a person's soul. Yeah. So, blowing out a candle is a little bit like, you know, would be parallel to ending a life. So, again, this is not to make anyone superstitious or anything like this. That's not the point. The point is just a, a, a sensitivity that certain people had. That's all. Um, so... So anyway, so Abraham Avinu's life is so incredibly rich and we know so many amazing stories like the the one I just told about, even when he was a child, and also his discovery about just the one God, just how that happened, just so many amazing things. So the question is, how could it be that Parshas Lechlecha introduces Abraham at the age of 75? Why isn't the Torah telling us these remarkable things about his greatness beforehand? So I, I, I learned from Rabbi Wilson Shlita in the name of the Maharal, an amazing, amazing, beautiful thought. Um, like you would think this is one of those thoughts that you would think, oh, for sure, Reb Shlomo said this, right? But this is the Maharal, so this is like hundreds of years before him. Everyone knows the greatness of the Maharal, right? So, in fact, you know, to this day in Prague, they have a statue in one of their prominent city squares of the, of the Mara, to to this day. Um, and I'll tell you something else, just another fun fact about the Maharal. Um One of the great um, astronomers, oh, Tycho Brahe, Wow! Oh, I'm so glad I remembered that. Tycho Brahe was one of the great, great astronomers. In fact, Kepler uh, based a lot of his innovations on Brahe's uh, research. And, and so, um, anyway, Brahe Uh, lived in Prague for a while, and he wrote in one of the letters that he said, Prague is a complete um, backwater. He's like, no one who I can even talk to in this entire place except this one old rabbi, (laughs) and it was the Maharal, you know? So, I mean, imagine what the conversations between the Maharal and, like, basically the, the discoverer of modern cosmology were, you know? That must have been pretty cool. But um, anyway, the Ma'aral says, why is it that Abraham Avinu, at, that, that, that uh, in Lech Lecha, that he's being introduced basically at age 75 without any, any tellings of his, his, his greatness and, and what, what had happened beforehand? Because, so the Ma'aral says, Hashem wanted to make a very important point to us, which is that his love for the Jewish people is absolutely unconditional. And it's not based on any of our merits. It's just God loves us, and that's what it is, right? And that's, that's an amazing thing. Because if you can earn someone's love, if your love is based on what a person has done, then theoretically you can also lose a person's love based on what you don't continue to do, or whatever it is. So an unconditional love is a love that's beyond anything else. It's just, it's just, I love you because I love you. I just, I love you. That's what it is. Um, of course, you never want to abuse a relationship like that. A, a, a relationship like that is is the utmost. So you want to treasure it, and you want to be worthy of a love like that. So you want to do your most, not to therefore take advantage of it, since, oh, you're going to love me anyway. Right? Right? That, so, so... So this is this is ideally something that inspires us to be even more worthy of God's love. The fact that He doesn't that He just loves us, you know? So, so that's a that's a that's a great thing. Okay. So now I want to tell you some things that I learned from Rabbi Tfi Friedman yesterday, which just I just I just thought were remarkable. So let's get into this idea of lech Lecha. So Lechlecha is actually means Lech means go forward, and and so that means you're going forward, right? Where? To yourself. So he was saying that this is actually a great paradox, because if you go forward, first of all, why do I have to go forward to find myself? I'm here right now. (laughs) So (laughs) if I'm trying to find myself, here I am. Why do I have to move? And if I move, well, there I am there, right? Because wherever you are, there you are. Mm-hmm. So, so what is this whole idea that you have to move someplace in order to find yourself? And he gave sort of like a, a I thought a very, very evocative piece of imagery. He says, he's talking about the fact that you can see your own eyeball. <laughs> that you can see a reflection of your eyeball but that's a reflection, that's not, right? Like, this is not a pipe, you know, that famous mm. surrealist painting. It's a picture of a pipe, right? So, so you, you can't see your own eyeball, you can see a reflection of your eyeball, but not your eyeball itself. Um, so, so he said that great philosophers and great um, people of religion, leading up to Avraham Avinu, that, that basically the process of self-discovery was one that involves sitting as opposed to moving, meaning to say contemplation and meditation, right? And of course, that is an element of Judaism as well, but it's not the starting point. It's not the starting point. Um, so, well, actually, I should just amend that by saying in, in our generation, where people are basically all on the level of Avraham Avinu, right? A lot of us are, are discovering God for the first time independently and then coming to that place. It can start with meditation, right? But I'm talking about classically speaking, when you're, when you're, when you're brought up in this, in, in this sort of like a Torah kind of way of life, it begins with action. And of course we know that kabbalistically speaking, there are four worlds. And this, they're not four separate worlds. They're just um, uh, different stratas of uh, spirituality, meaning to say that the, the upper dimensions, the highest world, uh, the realm that's known as Tzillus, is is the greatest revelation of spirituality, and then it compacts down through a process called simsum into materiality. So it's one spectrum going from spiritual to more material. Um, so that materiality, the, the physical dimension, is actually compressed spirituality. So if you want to know what materiality is, it's just solidified spirituality. <laughs> that, that, that's all it is. So anyone who tells you that they're not spiritual. Has no concept of what's going on, because <laughs> that's all they are. You're just you're just compacted spirituality. That's all you are. And if you want another way to wrap your mind around this, just imagine, um, just imagine uh, uh, the water molecule. So you know you 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 start with say um, say ice. So the 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 molecule of ice is H two O. So ice is solid. Then as it becomes Warmer becomes water, so it's a completely different form, right? But the molecule is still H2O. Then as you boil it, it becomes vapor and you can't even see it. The molecule is still H2O. So in other words, working from now the top down, you've got a parallel with God, how God compressed his heavenly light, the aura in self, to make this world. You have like the equivalent of, say, water vapor, Right? That's like more of a spiritual kind of idea. Then you have water. Remember, we were learning just a couple of weeks ago that it never says that God created water, that water therefore existed before the world existed, right? So then you have like water, but it's still H2O. And then you have this physical world, which is material, which is like ice, right? And so that's just a a, a way of just understanding Tsim Tsim. But of course, you know, when we're talking about God's light, it's a whole different uh, kind of realm of uh, heavenly physics, if you will. Um, so, so let's let's get back to this idea of lech lecha, that that that, that this world is called olam this dimension that we're in, which is the most material dimension. This dimension is called the world of action. So. You know, it's important to think good thoughts and say good things, but the bottom line is, what are you doing? Right? That's, that's what really distinguishes Judaism in many, many ways. What are you doing? Not thinking or saying, but what are you doing? Not that those other things don't count. They're also important. But it all goes down to the bottom line of action. So now we have lech lecha. Lech means go. Bless you. Lech means go. Lech means take this action, right, to yourself. And so what Rabbi Freeman was saying, and I thought this was very beautiful, was that if you want to discover yourself, you have to lech, you have to actually transcend yourself. You have to leave yourself in order to discover yourself. And of course, the opening passage, it says, Hashem says to Avram, he's not Abraham yet, go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. So all of these things are different levels of transcendence. And, and what, what I thought was so beautiful was, Rabbi Freeman concluded by saying the following, that if you, if you really, sometimes we use, like you hear this in Chabad circles a lot, this phrase, you don't hear it outside of them so much, masiris nefesh, like really, that's, that's, that's a way of saying transcending yourself you actually work to go beyond your limitations. You do something for someone that, um, you know, it was hard for you to do. It was hard for you to do, but you did it. So that's a discovery of self at that moment. Right? Or you just different versions where you didn't think you could do it, but you stayed in the game and you didn't. These are revelations of self. And Rabbi Freeman said that at the end of 120, at the end of our lifetimes, that God takes all of those moments where we got a glimpse into ourselves of who we truly are, collects them, and that's the revelation of our soul. So, so I'll tell you, you know, that's, you, those are wonderful moments when you get to see yourself. Those are wonderful moments, and they're usually just glimpses. They're usually just glimpses, because then you have to go and, and prepare for the next moment of transcendence. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, and there's no transcendence like chesed. There's no transcendence like chesed, meaning to say, like uh, the Pia Revi Rebbe would say, the greatest thing in the world is to do someone else a favor right? And, um, you know, that teaching saved lives. So, if you want to hear really the full story of that, go and look up the, the story, Sholmo tells it, of the holy hunchback. I'll leave it at that, but if you can get through that story without crying, then, uh, hmm. then we have to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, lech lecha, lech lecha, God says, go, go to, go to Canaan, right, which is Israel, go to Canaan, and then he says something, actually, he doesn't say go to Canaan, he says, go to the place that I will show you, and, and the Torah uses the word areka, and Arekah is a really interesting word, because it means, I will show you, yes. so, so, this is one thing just to understand the, the nature of, of, of the test of Lech Lecha, which is that Abraham Avinu was there with, um, with Sarah and with all the, um, the, the community that they created, all these people who, who had converted to Judaism, and they also had like a lot of cattle and all sorts of, you know, um, you know, uh, um, what are those things called? animals sheep, <laughs> sheep. <laughs> livestock. <laughs> livestock thank you <laughs> they, had like a, they had they had great holdings was the point and so it wasn't a small thing for them to just pick up and go and then you know because they it was working they had they had a really good thing going over there so so they had to pick up and go and well, where are we going God says oh I'll let you know <laughs> yeah. right I'll tell you when you get there <laughs> which is wow. You know, that's so that was another aspect of the test that they didn't even know where they were going, okay? And so this is another aspect to us about our own personal lechlikas. Because the truth is, a lot of times when we make that step, whatever that is, like let's say you want to start keeping Shabbos, like what is that going to mean to my life? I have now I'm entering into like the great unknown. Like, what is that going to mean? you know, or I'm going to start doing this, or I'm going to stop doing that. These are moments of transcendence where it's a real lech lecha, where God is telling you, look, here are the mitzvot in the Torah. Go to the place that I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, the, the most simple definition of areka, I will show you, is that it's a geographical location. But I heard from Rabbi Dunner in the name of the Meshech Chachma, one of the great Torah commentators. He said, no, no, no. You know what I will show you means? Go to this place and I will show you to the world. I will show who you really are. So that's really interesting. So in other words, through this act of transcendence, through this Lech Lecha, where we leave our personal boundaries, God reveals who we are. That's that's what's going on. That's this process called life. And in order to be able to do that, again, to quote Rabbi Freeman, the Pusik says, leave your land, right? Your relatives, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. You have to be in a place where you are just resisting labels and definitions. See, I talked about it one time here, how important it is for each one of us to define the word success for ourselves. Because if you don't define success for yourself, the world will define success for you. The world will create a whole system of labels that will be these invisible sets of handcuffs and chains around you. And unless you are proactive and allow yourself to define for yourself who you want to be, the life that you want to live, and everything like that, you will be stuck. And I know just on a personal level, I don't think that it's a coincidence that um, two very big things in terms of my own spiritual kind of journey happened while I was away from home. One was, uh, I, I, I um, I took a trip to Europe, and I was by myself, and I kind of realized while I was on the trip... That it was the first time I had ever been alone in my life, you know, which was like a weird discovery, because at that point, I think I was 24, which I guess is, I don't know. I don't know when the first time most people are alone. Um, so, and it was so liberating. It was great, because I was sort of like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I can sort of call the shots and not worry about what everyone else is thinking right now. And then I know I started keeping Shabbos in California when my family and most of the people I knew were in New York. And that was also a very liberating thing. So, so, but this idea of being able to leave all these circles that have defined you up until now and to allow your inner self to become your new reality is 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 a it, it's it's a very great thing. You know, I'll tell you something just in terms of not letting people define you. I remember I I you know, I love Ch- chasidus and I love all the different Rebis and all their different paths and teachings and everything like this. So whenever I meet Hasidim, I'm always interested like which from which branch of Chassidim they are, because I just want to know more, and, and I can learn more, and everything like that. And also, it grounds it in reality, because you might just know the book, or the Rebbe from, you know, different things, but now you're reading a, meeting an actual Chassid you know, which is like the living embodiment of it. So so it's a different thing, so it can be exciting, you know? So I remember I was in the airport, it was in Paris, and uh, it was time for Shacharis, so, so there was a whole group of Hasidim. And, you know, I was going to, you know, put on tefillin and and, and daven with them, and so I turned to one of them, who was this guy, a very fiery looking guy, who was like a big tall guy with long payas and a long coat, and I said to him, I said, from which Hasidim are you, you know? And he looked at me straight in the eye with a very strong look, and he said, I'm a Jew. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, he's like, why, like, why are yeah, like, why, like, like, what more do you need to know, you know, and I, I never forgot it, you know, because it was like, it, it just like, okay, I got you, I got it, <laughs> no more questions, so, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I'm not I'm being if I, if it sounds like I'm being critical, the opposite. I, I loved that he said that. I loved that he said that. I'll tell you another story, just a kind of in some ways the opposite of that story, but it just makes me laugh. I heard Rabbi Manus Friedman tell, tell this story. He said that he was walking down the street and he was dressed in sort of like a, a very eclectic way. And I don't remember the exact description of it, but you couldn't you couldn't quite tell which group he was from, from the way he was dressed, okay? So And he's got a pretty long white beard also, and so I, I only can imagine what, what he was wearing at the, at the time. And someone stopped him on the street and said, you know, what, what, what group are you from? And he said, why do you have to define me and put labels on me and everything like this? Like, can't we just get past all that stuff? And the guy goes, oh, you're from New York. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> anyway, um, so let's get back to this idea of araka that, that that Hashem Hashem says I will show you, meaning I will show you Abraham, I will show Abraham to the entire world, um, and that's that will be this idea. But if we want to go deeper into it still. Um, uh, another Torah on the word areka I, I really like this word by the way because it's the gematria of David Yitzchak which is my name mm-hmm. so I have a special affection for this word but anyway areka um, is, is uh, the, the Jikov Rebbe points out that it's also um, it can be the gematria 222 or it can be the gematria 702 how so? Because there's another way of understanding gematria. There are many ways of understanding it. But in one of the systems, the final letters have their own separate gematria. So, so meaning to say that the letter chaf would normally be 20, but it's also 500. And the, the, the logic behind that is, is very clear because um, the, 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 the largest number in normal gematria would be the last letter of the aleph base. It's tough. That's the number 400. And since chaf sofit, the final chaf, is the first of the final letters, it would be the first integer above 400, which would be 500. You understand? And then, and then mem sofit would be, the final mem would be 600, Right? And it goes up. So, if you understand areka, the final chaf to be 500, then 500 plus reish is 700, and two olives is 702, which is the gematria of Shabbos. So, God says, I will go to the land that I will show you. Right? So, interestingly, so, God says, go to Shabbos. <laughs> or, if you want to put it another way, on Shabbos, you... You will be revealed on <laughs> Shabbos. That light that's inside of you is going to come out, and you know, it's it's amazing because this is actually halacha meaning to say this is actually practical Jewish law, because when a couple gets married, there's a um, you know a, a week of um, celebrations afterwards, the Sheva bruchas. And you're supposed to have a new guest who wasn't at the wedding at each one of those celebrations. But the exception is on Shabbos. Because on Shabbos, everyone, al halacha, according to Jewish law, has a new face. So so the idea that I will show you, I will reveal you, the fact that that word is the same gematria as the word Shabbos, shows you that on Shabbos, there's a new aspect of yourself that becomes revealed. To the world and to yourself. You get to see really who you are on Shabbos also. Right? So, so that's areka, and, um, and, 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 and that's also this idea that as we travel through life, isn't, this, isn't that the key word as we travel through life? Because where are we going? You know, I don't know, I don't know. You know, I was once in a place, not so long ago, and uh, and uh, I remember I, 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 I wrote this song and, and it was, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know where I'm going, but the driver is good. Right? <laughs> And that's, I mean, that's kind of life, right there, right? You know, you know, it reminds me of a, a story. The, um, it, it, it's about the the young short Cover Rebbe, right? Who is the son of the Rishner Rebbe, and a Chassid comes out of the meeting with the Rishner Rebbe. He had like Yechidus with the Rebbe. He comes out, and he looks like very happy, very relieved. And this young boy who became a a Rebbe himself, the future short cover Rebbe, says to him, what did my father say to you? (laughs) (laughs) He said, uh, he said, what? (laughs) (laughs) He said, what what did my father say to you? Because he looked very happy. And he he says, um, he said, your father said, right, your father, the Rebbe, said, Hashem will help. So that's why he was happy. So then he, this young boy looked at him and he said, what are you going to do until then? <laughs> so his face fell. <laughs> and he said, and he goes, go ask, go ask my father. So he goes back in and meets with the original Rebbe again, and then he comes back out and he looks great. And he said, what did my father say? He said, that until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. <laughs> so again, it's all of life. That's, that's, all of, that's all of life, right there. That's all of life, literally, you know? So, so this idea that we, we really don't know, we, we, remember, the Ger Rebbe says that when Hashem told Lech Lecha to Avraham to go forward, to, do, to live on this level of transcendence, to defy labels, to, to be able to um, travel, even though you don't know what's happening next, necessarily right? That that command to Abraham Avinu was actually given to every single Jew for all times. Keep moving. Keep moving. And, and I mentioned it last year. Isn't it interesting that Lech Lecha is coming after Parshas Noach when everything is falling apart? And you know something? If everything is falling apart, don't stop moving. Keep going. Keep going. And remember we said that to her in the name of Rebbe Nachman the other week. A person has to learn how to sit and a person has to learn how to stand and a person has to learn how to walk. Right? And what happens if you... And a person has to learn how to fall. Right? And what happens if you're falling and there's no one there to stop you from falling? So Rabbi Nachman says, keep walking. And if you keep walking and you don't stop walking, you'll realize that you never fell at all. Right? So this is the power of Lech Lecha. And believe me, believe me, because Avraham Avinu did this, and because all of us, either biologically or spiritually speaking, whatever it is, are sons and daughters of Avraham, he gave us the power to not stop walking. When he walked, we're still walking because he walked. Right? So if you, if you need that strength, you have that strength. You might not know that you have that strength. But you absolutely have that strength because Abraham did, it. right? And we're just we're just the continuation. We're just the continuation. Okay. So, so with this in mind, I, I, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about uh, guilt, right? And feelings of guilt, because this is something that. Um, is something that can stop a, pe- a person in their tracks. Guilt is um, uh, something that a lot of people suffer with. Uh, feelings of guilt, and I want to tell you just a Torah approach to understanding guilt, okay? And dealing with it for, for um, just everyone should know it. Like my dad was a psychologist, and he would say. Everyone's got it. It just is, it either comes in a small package, a medium-sized package, or a large package. <laughs> right? So it's like... But guilt management is one of the ways of really getting through life. And it's one of the ways that the Sahara, the negative inclination, tries to attack us. So let's first just try to understand it. So one, one thing to understand is, is that what I would, what I would com- compare guilt to is like it's a smoke alarm. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that, that if your smoke alarm goes off and everything is working properly, that means that there's a fire in the house. Okay, so once the smoke alarm has alerted you to the fire, the smoke alarm has done its job. It's finished. It's not, it's not helpful anymore. <laughs> you see? Now you have to deal with the fire. That's what, that's what guilt is. Guilt is an inner smoke alarm. It's it's there to tell you that there's an issue going on. And, And then once you're now acquainted with what the issue is, then guilt no longer serves any practical or functional role in your life at that point. Because now you say, okay, I hurt that person's feelings. Or I didn't come through for that person. And now I have to deal with whatever the issue is. You see? Now, and and then you say, and then if the guilt feeling returns, then you say to the guilt feeling, brother guilt, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thank you very much. I got the message. You can now, you can go back to whatever you were doing. Because I'm going to call that person, or I'm going to talk to that person, or I'm going to apologize to that person, or whatever it is right? Do you understand? Now you're, you're in control. You're managing your resources. It's done its job and everything like this. Now, let me tell you the big mistake that people make. And they, they, they do this without thinking about it. So I'm giving you, trying to give you insight into what otherwise is a pretty shadowy inner process. What some people think is, I've done this thing wrong. I'm feeling guilty. You know how I'll fix it? by dwelling in the guilt, by dwelling and swimming in this guilt and immersing myself in this guilt, that will be the fixing for the thing that I did wrong. And that is, man, at that point, you are absolutely in the locked grip of the Sahara, at that point. Because you've, you've taken, you've essentially taken the smoke alarm, right? You've sort of like unscrewed it from the ceiling and you've wrapped the wiring around your neck. <laughs> you see? Because guilt at that point isn't going to fix any problem whatsoever. So then what is tshuva? All right? Because one of the key dimensions of tshuva is called charata, which means regret. So what is that? All right, Because we have to make distinctions. We have to make categories. Because otherwise, all these feelings and emotions become very amorphous. They all mix with each other, and then the product is neurosis and depression. Okay, so we want to avoid that, okay? So, so, one of the great things that I heard from Reb Shlomo was he was, you know, gently, but ridiculing someone who was talking about tshuva. And he, was, he said to them, you know something? Okay, you feel bad about that thing? Okay, so he said, so two minutes a day do tshuva. And that was an astounding thought to me. The idea, because tshuva, again, is this great amorphous, like this unformed kind of like idea that you think like, well, what are you doing with your, walking with your, you know, looking down like hunched over, looking at the ground. What are you doing? Doing tshuva. (laughs) What? You know, he says, okay, so the idea that you could actually schedule tshuva, like that's amazing. You know something? I'm going to go to the gym. Then I'm going to do some tshuva. <laughs> right? Then I got a business appointment. Right? The idea that, okay, so tshuva is like regret. Did I, did I, did I, did I want to do that? You know, like Reb Shlomo says by, by, by Yom Kippur, it's not that I did it and I feel bad about it. Yes, I did it and I feel bad about it. I never wanted to do it to begin with. I know, God, do you think I ever for one fraction of a second ever wanted to go against your will? Ever? I never wanted to do it to begin with. So, so okay. I, I checked my watch. Did some tshuva. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> you, you see, this is very, very different from dwelling in guilt. As though guilt is going to help me. Do, do, do you hear so this is very practical, and, and, and it's, 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 um, you're leaving the realm of emotion because emotion, again, can, can choke you. You know, there's, you, you have to be able to really... This is part of what they call self-mastery, understanding the different categories and how to address it. Okay. So, so now, in terms of um, motivation, I want to maybe just... Switch the topic slightly. But just continuing into these things, which hopefully are are, are helpful. Um, By the way, I want to say one more teaching, just because I love it, just before we uh, leave Avraham Avinu for a moment. So, so Avraham Avinu, right, he contains everything. He contains the whole Jewish people, is inside Avraham. So if you look at the letter Aleph, which is the first letter of Abraham, right? Aleph stands for Abraham. It has a yud, like you. The way you draw an aleph is you have a yud on top, and then you have a vav diagonally, and then you have a yud on the bottom. So, what do we say in Shmona Esra, right? In the, the the main prayer of our, you know, davening, we say we're standing before the God of Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Okay, so within Avraham, Avraham is the Aleph. Now we said the Aleph is composed of a Yud, a Vav, and a Yud. So the top Yud is Yitzchak, V, Yaakov. <laughs> right, the diagonal line is the vase, V, and the lower Yud is Yaakov. So within Avraham, you have Yitzchak, V, Yaakov. Okay, so it's all, it's all there, you know, like, when you realize that everything is microcosms within microcosms within microcosms, you know, that's why it's so great to do any kindness to anyone. Because you never know, like, what, what domino effect is that going to have? Right? But really, but really, I mean, this is actually how the world works. You know, because you smiled walking down the street. Remember, your face is public property. People think that, you know, I, if I want to be in a bad mood, that's my business. But your face is actually public property. Hmm. You know, you're, you're committing an act of vandalism if you walk around with a sour look on your face. It's true, right? So if you smile, and the, smiles can be contagious. Someone drives by you and they smile. Now all of a sudden, because they smile, there's, you know, there's, a chemical, there's a chemical kind of like ricochet from a smile. You all of a sudden say, oh, you know something? I'm supposed to call that guy. <laughs> And then you make a phone call, and then because you walk down the street and smiled, all of a sudden, business in like different parts of the world is being transacted. Mm-hmm. I'm being totally serious right now. This is totally serious. Right? Um, okay. So I want to just tell you something. I was, uh, this week, I had a, an experience, um, and it's uh, kind of a further continuation of a discussion. If you want to hear the first part of this discussion, it's in um, the talk uh, we gave this year on Vreshis. Right? I called it In the Beginning. So, um, if you want to go on Torah on iTunes.com if you want to hear the beginning of this discussion, you can, but we'll just kind of pick it up from here. So, I was lying in bed this week and it was like, it was dark in the room and I couldn't quite get out of bed. And I'm trying to convince myself to get out of bed, you know, because this this minion that I go to, it's like, it's so fast. It's like, really, I'm, I'm, I'm only slightly exaggerating when I say, if you're a minute late, they're at Elena. I mean, but it's really, it's, it's actually just a slight exaggeration. So, uh, um, so I'm trying to get out of bed, and, and, and I, 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 heard, I heard me saying these words to myself. I said, you've got to, come on, David, you've got to serve God with fire, Right, and so when I said that, I saw in front of me the the word fire, and the letters were about that big. They were about two feet high. There was an aleph and there was a shin, right in front of me. And I'm lying in bed, and I'm just kind of looking at the letters, (laughs) and I thought, oh, you know, it's kind of interesting that the way you spell fire is aleph shin, because shin is the second to last letter of the alphabet. I thought, oh, it's interesting that you spell fire aleph shin and not aleph taf, right? Because as long as you're going to start with the first letter of the alphabet, you might as well get to the last letter of the alphabet, (laughs) right? The fact that you stop at shin and don't go to taf is interesting. So I thought, why is aleph shin? Why do why is that the way you spell fire? So if you remember, and this is what we were talking about earlier. Couple weeks ago, I asked Reb Shlomo, "How do you stay on fire? Mm-hmm. Right? How do you stay on fire in the service of God?" And he gave a long answer, which I discussed in that other thing. But I'll just put it in a sentence. He said, basically, if you want to stay on fire, you have to stay in a state of wonder. Right? That's 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 the formula. Now, isn't it interesting that Esh, then, is Alev Shin and not Alev Taf? Because Alev Taf is A through Z. In other words, you think you know everything. Alev Taf means you think you know everything. And remember, the Gomorrah says in Bruchas that a person has to train their tongue to say, I don't know. That means that God creates us with a predisposition of thinking that we know. And this is what we were talking about the other day, the fact that we ate from the tree of knowledge before we ate from the tree of life. Like these annoying people who want to tell us how to live our life without having lived themselves. That that's actually all of us. (laughs) Because we ate from the tree of knowledge before we ate from the tree of life. So we're actually all in that category. So if a person is on this level of A to Z, the fire goes out. But if a person is on the level of Aleph through Shin, which means that they've done some learning, right? They've done a lot of learning, but they know that they haven't gotten there all the way to the end. That's actually the formula for staying on fire. So in other words, the word for fire itself is advice teaching you how to stay on fire. Um. So may I just uh, end with this uh, personal story? Uh, I uh, we we're talking a little bit about it on Shabbos. I guess when I was 14, I I had my first real kind of Shabbos test. You know, I wanted to uh, I wanted to go to shul on Shabbos. Anyway, um, my family wasn't quote-unquote religious, so I didn't really have that support system so much, but they loved Torah, they loved Reb Shlomo. My mom went before I went, and then she took my sister, and then they took me. And like I said, it was across the street from my house where I grew up, Reb Shlomo Shul on 79th Street. So I started going there, and and they had these speech tournaments and in my, uh, in my public high school, and they wanted me to be on the speech team. So th- those events were on uh, Shabbos morning, and so I was conflicted. I-, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to go to shul, but somehow I, I also wanted to do these speeches and whatnot. So I went to talk to Reb Shlomo to ask him what what should I do, right? And um, and anyway, so we talked. We went for a walk together. And I'll just make this story short, but, but ten years later, as I continued to try to figure out what I'm doing in this world and what this world is all about, you know, I finally got to this place of Shabbos, and I was telling Reb Shlomo about it. He was in L.A., downtown, and this is setting, and I said, he said to me, I, I wanted to tell him like the good news that I had sort of like made progress, and we had been in touch, you know, all, all during that period, you know, I continued to go to the shul when I was in the city, and I wanted to tell him that, you know, that, I, you know, like I, I'm, 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 I'm getting there, I'm, I'm doing better, you know, and um, he said to me, he said, David, do you remember, do you remember that walk we took 10 years ago, right, it was... Ten years ago, I said, "Yeah," and then he said to me, "Do you remember what parsha it was?" I said, "No." He said, "It was Lech Lecha." Mm-hmm. So he remembered the walk, and he remembered the parsha, and he remembered everything that he had said to me. And what he had said was that that tests begin with Abraham. See, by Noach, God just says, "I'm bringing the flood. Make a boat." So people discuss why did Noach try to dissuade him, but that's a whole separate conversation. Tests begin with Abraham Avina. and and we have to understand what tests are. We have to understand that because life is filled with tests, filled with tests. And you know the Katskerebi says something very interesting. He says, "Here's here's how they work. If you pass a test, you get a bigger test." <laughs> See, we we're so coddled, we're so coddled, we're so pampered. It's like, you know, like can you imagine if your one of your previous incarnations like looked at you? <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway. We think, I passed the test, now give me a break. Right? But the Katsuk says, if you pass a test, then you've basically distinguished yourself. You've, you've distinguished yourself that you've merited a bigger test. And if you don't pass that test, then God gives you a smaller test. And if you don't pass that test, then you get a smaller test. And if you pass that test, then you get a bigger test. That's, that's life. That's life. It's all tests. So then the question is then, who likes to be tested? No one likes to be tested. So then, why? Then, then, what's God doing? I thought God was good. I thought God loves us. I thought God loves us unconditionally. So, what are you telling me everything's a test for? Well, so now we have to understand what tests are, right? So, I heard this from Rabbi Orlovsky, and it, it, it really it changed my life. It absolutely did. A very, very central, important teaching. He said that, you know, most people would have thought Abraham leaves Canaan, right? Or leaves Haran, rather, where he's got this great thing going, picks up his whole community, puts them down in Israel, and now, what do you think? Let the good times roll, right? What happens? There's a famine in the land, right? It's sort of like, Come over here to this amazing place where there's no food. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then what happens? His wife gets kidnapped. And then he's waging wars, like the the First World War, basically. He's, He's a general in the First World War. So it's like, what's going on? What is going on? So most of us go through life And we think that any setback that we experience is because basically we're losers, right? Because I did this wrong, or I couldn't get that right, so that's why my life is upside down. And by the way, by the way, the Rambam says that a person has to look into their actions if they suffer a reversal, and if they don't, he uses the word axarius, which means cruelty. That a person is being cruel to themselves if they don't investigate their own actions. However, however, who is more blameless than Avraham? Avraham wasn't being, didn't have to go through any tikkunim or anything like this, so any fixing, or he didn't do anything wrong. So from this you see a very important piece of headline news, which is that even if you haven't done anything wrong, this world Actually, has stuff that we need to accomplish in it, and that's the premise of this world. And I'll give you what I think is the best support for this argument that I can possibly give you, which is that Abraham, which is Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden, before they eat from the tree of knowledge, are told, "Work and guard the garden." In other words, we in our minds acquaint the Garden of Eden with the ultimate spa. Right? What is, the garden, what is the definition of the Garden of Eden? No work. It's completely incorrect. All you have to do is open up the Torah and you see that that's completely incorrect. And this is before they eat from the Tree of Knowledge. So you say, well, after they eat from the Tree of Knowledge, Hashem says to Adam, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow." That 100% true, but you know what before he ate from the tree of knowledge God says work and guard the garden The opening instructions to the Garden of Eden So from that you see that this world is a work session Why because God just wants to crack the whip and put us to work for some reason? No something much more deep and beautiful Because the world is not done yet The world is not finished yet And I believe that you can't understand your own life or the world or existence or anything unless you understand this point. The first thing that God had in mind when he created the world was perfection itself. And then he created us to be partners with him to finish the world. To realize that ultimate world where there's no war and no hunger and no hatred And no obstacles to understanding who and what God is and what God wants. And there's just beauty and harmony. And God said, and this is the ultimate, God says, you know what? Work with me. Finish it off. Right? God says, I did 99.9% of it. (laughs) But you know what? You're hired. I want to work with you, you know? You know, I'll tell you something. Like, you know, being in the, inter- in, in, in the entertainment industry, like if, you know, a top director, right? If Martin Scorsese or, right, Steven Spielberg said to me, I want you to write um, uh, a screenplay for me. That, that, that would be like such a covet, such an honor, Right? I wouldn't say to them, like, can't you just take me out for dinner? Yeah. Right? Can't you just... Get, I, I tell you what, what would you have paid me for the screenplay? Um, I don't know, a million dollars? Just give me the million dollars. <laughs> you, you probably wouldn't say that. You'd be so honored to work with the person. Right? That he values me and my talent and what I can do. Not just give me the cash. Like, yeah, we're in it together. This is awesome. So God himself picks each one of us and says, you, I want to work with you. I need you. You're awesome. Let's work together. Let's finish this unbelievable project called the world, called the universe, called reality. Let's do it together. And so, every time we make a decision or we're confronted with a challenge or we're given a quote-unquote test, what is that? That's the mechanism for finishing the world. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is we take challenge and we process it into light. Mm. We convert it into light. And then that takes the world one step closer to perfection. And that's what it is. And that's what God privileges us to do. So, with this in mind, when you wake up in the morning, don't be deluded. Don't say, wow, I hope this is one of those days where finally everything Falls into place, and I don't have another challenge for the rest of my life. <laughs> get up out of bed like you're a batter in a batter box, right? Holding a bat, and you say, Okay, God, what's next? What's, what's coming today? What are my challenges for today? Right? What do I get to do today? That phone call, okay, did it. What's next? Right? That email, did it. What's next? That meeting? Done. What's next? There's someone who needs some money over there? What's next? And this is and this way we're actually living in reality at that point. At that point we are. So Hashem should bless us just to have the strength, right? To be on fire. Right? To stay in a place of wonderment to be in this place of lech lecha, of action and transcendence and areka of revelation of ourself and of the world and God's oneness always. Amen. Amen.